it's the new season of Your Story with Melinda. And what better way to start off the new season than with an incredible interview with Sarah Bessie. Sarah's an author, writer, blogger, a Jesus feminist. And this interview that I've had with her was amazing. It was actually an extended version. And we talked all about what is a feminist and what is a Jesus feminist. Do we love or hate the Apostle Paul? What's the role of women and men in the church? Narrative theology and how to brand your life or rebrand your life both professionally and personally. There was so much more that we could have talked about and I wish we had five days to talk with this interview. You're not going to want to miss all about life, women, and sisterhood. And that is how we start your story with Melinda off this new season. Kirk? Perfect. I am so glad that we finally get to meet one another because I think we've been in the same circles, know the same people, but have never actually met yet. Is that right? I think so. I know. It's one of my favorite things actually about being a Christian in Canada is we all either know each other or we know someone who knows you. Yeah. And, and I've so heard so much like about you. And I mean, I, I know so much about you. I've heard about you. Um, I'm, I'm addicted to your blog. I, I love it. And I'm so glad that we finally get to meet this way. And we've got a, a long amount of time to kind of chat about, you know, the things that matter to us. Um, and as women, especially in Canada, so, so glad that you're on my podcast. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And I love that you're a Canadian. Go yeah, Canada. I love that. There's so many great women in Canada that the world does not know yet. And yet I'm excited that uh, the U.S. has really taken a liking to you and is bringing you down to speak. And I think Canada needs to do more of that with you as well. But I, I see that you are on your blog. I see that you're speaking in Canada. But I know that the U.S. has sort of grabbed you a lot as well. Why do you think, is, why do you think, why do you think uh, the U.S. has really taken a liking to you? Um, you know what? I Sometimes I think it's just something as simple as demographics. They just have a lot more people um, and have a lot more uh, maybe churches or, or accessibility uh, to be able to bring people down to have, have some of those conversations, whereas a lot of times Canadian churches don't have that kind of opportunity. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, maybe it's just demographics, but I think that there's a big part of me that also believes that the Holy Spirit is up to something and that Canada really has something to say to the world at this time and in this place. Mm-hmm. And I think people are starting to pick up on the fact that Canadians are are, um, are really leading, not just, you know, politically, but even spiritually in a lot of ways right now. That's good. What would you say as you've experienced both the U.S. and Canada speaking and meeting with Christians, evangelical and mainline, what would you say is, is the difference? I know we can very, you know, we can say, well, that's different and that's different. But what's the main thing that you've seen where we are very different people? You know, that's a really good question. I think that if you would have asked me that even maybe 10 years ago, I probably would have said, oh, well, there's not it's not very many differences, um, you know, in a lot of ways. But I think in the past few years, those differences have really become more more obvious in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I think that, that uh, the Canadian church is certainly in a different place than the American church in terms of our place in culture, our place in, in where we are, of, of learning to thrive in the margins, learning to thrive when you're not the dominant force in culture, mm-hmm. uh, what that means. 
means for how you show up in your in your neighborhood and in your community. So there's those those differences. Um, you know, I think that really sometimes it goes down to even the fact that Canadians really deeply value um, you know order and security and safety and 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 even um, good neighborliness you know, <laughs> in a in a lot of ways. And sometimes that can show up in different ways. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that the the differences are definitely becoming more and more pronounced uh, as time goes on for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that really struck me, and I want to get into this right away because I, I was joking before the show about how, you know, there have been people who have come to me and said, you know, Melinda, are you a feminist? And I haven't outed myself. And I have actually been in a journey about trying to understand what that is. And, and you've written a book um, a little while ago called Jesus Feminist. And I know that's made waves and there's been lots of discussion around it. And I want to talk about that because as a girlfriend, as someone who has been in ministry, is in ministry, is in media, writes and is speaking and, and understands the weight of my words and how I represent Jesus in everything that I do, I think this is a really important discovery for me, Sarah, and discussion to have with someone like you to understand this and be able to articulate it well as far as what feminism and for you like Jesus feminism or feminist means because I'm really struck by it and and what you said about that your relationship with Jesus made you a feminist. And I'm like, what? And I know this, you know, we've had this discussion with a lot of people, but I, it's it's sort of a new concept for me and I know for my listeners and viewers it is as well. But I want to talk about that and and understand that more about how Jesus could have made you a feminist because feminism, when we're talking about in culture, freaks people out. Like the word itself, right? I mean, you've got Gloria Steinem, burn your bra in the day. You've got Taylor Swift, you know, the whole squad goals and that kind of new feminism. And then you've Beyonce who's singing, you know, who runs the world women. And so people kind of think feminism is militant or um, way too strong or offensive or always fighting. And I don't think that's what you mean here at all. And, no, and I don't relate I mean, to that either, right? Yeah. No, you know, it's it's funny. I, I wrote um, that book a number of years ago. And I remember, I, I still don't know anybody who's managed to tick off as many people with one two-word title as I <laughs> <laughs> So I guess Way to go, Sarah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, the the title actually even grew out of, um, honestly, just a cheeky answer to that very question of people coming over and saying, um, you know, I would I felt very comfortable with the word feminist, to be honest, even from a young age, really? um, growing up in Western Canada and uh, very passionate about women's issues and always understood feminism as kind of that, you know, more more true definition of just equality, right, that it's not you know, women first, mm-hmm. uh, but it's equality, it's everybody together and, and having a, a really deep passion for that. I grew up in churches that affirmed women and uh, leadership and in ministry. I grew up in a home that uh, valued women's voices. And so for me, it was really kind of a no brainer. But it was funny because then when I started to go to church and say, you know, the F word, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that people would yeah. kind of, you know, clutch their pearls and say, well, what kind of feminist are you? And I think that people had a hard time reconciling the stereotype of what they thought about a feminist um, with who the person that I am, you know, and, and so oftentimes what we think about feminism uh, within the church, you know, it could be based on a lot more, you know, fear mongering or misinformation or stereotypes. Sometimes it's almost feels like the opposite side of sometimes how the world views Christians, Yeah, right, where someone hears the word Christian, and they automatically get this idea in their yeah. head of like, 
what that means or they have some uh, you know stereotype or thing tricked out in their mind of what that is mm-hmm. and all of us are sitting here going well you, there's a lot of us right who are christians and there's a lot of nuance within that and there's a lot of um you know differences and, and even tenderness and goodness within that and so for me i would just say oh i'm a jesus feminist you know and that was kind awesome. of a cheeky way of saying that I was a feminist because I followed Jesus, that it was because I loved and followed Jesus and saw how Jesus treated women and and even began to get a really clear idea of how um, scripture talked about women, about what God's dream was for the world and what all these things, you know, how all these things intersected and connected. And so for me, um, you know, yeah, absolutely. Being a woman of faith really helped almost seal the deal in terms of you know, my, uh, my passions around women and women's issues and rights and those sorts of things. So where did you then, because people are going to probably do a pushback, where did you see within scripture or even in your own relationship with Jesus where you really said, you know what, Jesus is for women? Because I've, I've really struggled. I mean, I've always known that. That's why I'm attracted to him. That's why I've stayed following Jesus for my life, even though I've had my little prodigal moments and I've run away and then come back. Uh, that's part of why, a big part of why I'm with him and would mm-hmm. align myself as a Jesus follower because of the way he interacted with women. And then the struggle with me, Sarah, honestly, has been my life has been a struggle more in the church about my role as a woman to preach, teach, and lead. I've been in, in a denomination uh, prior where I couldn't. I had, you could only go so far. And I and I had to reconcile. I was in a lot of tension about what I felt Jesus is and was towards women, and yet it wasn't being represented or released or empowered within my own church that said they follow mm-hmm. Jesus. So I was really stuck. And I think that a lot of women have experienced that like me, a Gen Xer, but also are still struggling with that as a millennial uh, today. And what would you say with that? Because that is a big conundrum. Like I struggle all the time fighting through that, speaking about it, and, I, and it doesn't seem like it's it's really going away. No, I would agree. And I think that one of the reasons why, I mean, well, first of all, there's a lot of, of, um, of, of things that we could talk about in what you just said. And I don't think you're alone in what you were feeling and in what you were thinking. Um, you know, it's a really common thing. And I think that um, people are very rarely wanting to, you know, overtly be sexist or disempower women it's more that people really genuinely want to follow Jesus they really genuinely love scripture and they want to honor God and so I mean you know a big part of that too is beginning to understand that it's not about one side values scripture and one side doesn't mm-hmm. right it's it's oftentimes because we value scripture that we even begin to think more more deeply about a lot of these things instead of just kind of assuming one throwaway line or you know one one verse of the bible completely out of context and then shaping an entire theology yeah. around those things right. um, can be really uh, dangerous, right? And it really does, um, you know, kind of almost uh, disempower or disengage a lot of the church. And I think that's something that would even really deeply grieve a lot of our early church fathers and mothers. Like, you know, one of the things that I always say is I used to really have a problem with Paul. Right? Me too. <laughs> like, <laughs> that when I get to heaven or where Jesus is and, and all that, that's the first person I want to have a talk with. I have, I've actually used the word dislike him. Yeah. 
really yeah, dislike. Like, you know, it's amazing <laughs> how many women just have a really hard time with Paul because yeah. oftentimes those are the those are the verses, not anything from Jesus. And even when we understand, you know, the created order and how God, you know, created us and how men and women are our allies and how, you know, both are made in the image of God. And, you know, you see all these beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, women even throughout scripture and you see all these encounters and just all these places where, you know, the culture maybe was patriarchal and the culture was was evil towards women. But then there were all these signs of hope and newness and goodness and moving things forward. And everybody always comes right up against Paul and says, yeah. Well, you know, obviously he doesn't like women or he's this or he's that. And it was funny because the more that I studied scripture and the more I wrestled with it, and the more I prayed about it, the more I talked to scholars and theologians and people who had been walking through this for a number of years, the more I began to realize I love him. And I honestly believe that if he knew how we had taken a few lines in, in a couple of letters to specific situations with, with specific people and had used that to silence and bench really half the church yeah. in preaching the gospel and in and in the fullness and embodying the fullness of the kingdom of God. I think he'd be heartbroken. I really do. And so now I almost see him as an ally in a lot of these things because when you look at the full story even of Paul, you see that he was ordaining women, that he was working with women, that he called women um, among, chief among his apostles. You know that he he worked with women. He he had them in all levels of of leadership and evangelism and preaching and teaching and within the church and outside. I mean, it was an incredible thing to see him embodying that because what he cared most about was the gospel being preached. Mm-hmm. And he really was also the same guy that talked about how there's neither male nor female in 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 Christ, right? So there's a lot of different ways where people engage with that. I think the biggest struggle that we often have is having people begin to separate the way we've always done it from what God's dream actually is for us. It's good, yeah. And so being able to even say, well, maybe it's not the way we've always done it. And even a lot of times we capitulate to our culture's view of women, or we capitulate to, you know, right now where women, you know, are this or they're that, or, you know, they're shrill, or they aren't good leaders, or they're insecure, or they're, you know what, that is not in scripture at all. And that is not God's view of women. And so instead of baptizing those kinds of lies or misinformation in sacred language and acting like it's holy, mm-hmm. really all it is is a capitulation to a secular culture's view of women and not at wow. all the way that scripture or the way that, that Jesus Christ or whatever describe or talk about or interact with women. So, Sarah, that's really awesome. That's profound. So we've, we, we know the problem, and I don't think we need to you know, keep talking about the problem, because I could sit here, honestly, for hours with you and say, here are the issues. This is what I think happened. Oh, this everybody happened. has but their I think, story. Yeah, I think that the, the, the question now is how do we move from here to here, right? Like how do we move from what I had to struggle with all my life, and, and let alone as a woman, I mean, and, and ethnicity and being young. I mean, so take yeah. ethnicity – being young and a woman and throw me into a church in a denomination that wasn't for it. And, and really, honestly, the struggle is real in that way. I mean, and it really was by men and women who saw me and saw gifting and said, we're going to give you a chance. And they were on the line. There were people in my denomination who gave me a chance to preach, and they got in a lot of trouble. But they saw that it was about gifting rather than gender and said, we see this sort of anointing of you to be able to communicate and I'm going to give you opportunity. And and so I am so thankful for men and women who ahead of me said, we understand scripture and we're going to give you a chance at, mm-hmm. you know, the risk of their own reputation 
and you know their own livelihood you're like really it was it was it was that at that place and so I think my commitment uh, and that's why I'm so encouraged by your writing is to be a voice like that for others who are younger too right right? to say I'm gonna I'm gonna step in that place and Mm -hmm. give people that opportunity so as I say that what so for someone like me like a Gen X or even boomers we're looking at millennials and you know Gen Z we're in the church context we want equality how do we make this happen like how does how do we start changing that sort of narrative of, of inequality to a place of equality and empowerment um, for, for women within the, within the church. Yeah. Well, you know what? That is the million dollar question, right? And <laughs> ding, there's, there's ding, a lot ding, of, ding. <laughs> there's so many different, um, you know, answers to that where you can, you can take a run at them. But first of all, I think that you're right in that uh, representation matters. Right. And so for you, having men and women around you who were affirming you and who were calling those gifts out. Um, and then on the flip side, I know that there's not a single time that I preach, Melinda, not a single time. It doesn't matter how big the church is, how small the church is, how big the conference is, how small the conference is, what corner of the world I'm in. I always hear from at least five women and men who say that was the first time I've ever seen a woman in the pulpit. Yes, I've heard that, too. And I'm shocked by it, actually. It's shocking. It is shocking. It really is. And even I try to make a point now of even putting, when I'm preaching, pictures on Instagram. Because then I get emails from from people who say, literally, this is the only time I ever see a woman teaching, that I see a woman preaching, that I see a woman, you know, so I'm, I, that representation to me matters. Mm-hmm. Um, it matters in terms of, I mean, in, in so many different intersections and ways. I mean, whether it's ethnicity and it's age or it's size or it's, you know, uh, physical uh, attributes or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. else it is, there's a million ways where we don't always see ourselves represented at the table. And so those sorts of things, I think, matter. I think um, for me, having women around me who were leading well, who had thriving, strong, even marriages within Mm -hmm. uh, ministry, who were good moms uh, and showed me that you could be a strong leader and you could be a strong woman of God and still be a really good mom and still be really deeply involved and engaged with my children. I have four children. Um, You know, so those sorts of things, you know, demystifying it giving you a path to walk on, you know, a, a, a track to run on even is really mm-hmm. helpful. Uh, I think it takes a lot of boldness. I think it takes allies within the kingdom of God. I think we need men and women working together. Um, I think it sometimes um, can be really disruptive, but really at the core, and this is the, the big difference to me about what it means um, when we're a, a, when I see myself as being a Jesus feminist, is that for me at the core, it really is a, a, an, an issue of discipleship. And it really is an issue of, you know what, I could maybe force my way in and say, yes, I'm right. Because you know what, I'm pretty sure I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) But just because I'm right doesn't mean I get a pass on embodying the fruit of the Spirit. It does not mean that I get a pass on being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And really what I want more than anything is not to win that immediate battle but really to see hearts and minds transformed, to see us looking more and more like the church that Jesus Christ envisioned, right? To see us working together, moving together, to see it matter, not just in terms of, you know, can someone, can a woman be on the elder board? Like, yes, that matters. But also in terms of the global story of women and what it means for women in our communities. And really the number one place for women to flourish should be in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so for us being able to embody that and show that at all generations and all levels, however that looks, I think that keeping our eye on that 
and letting that 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 kind of of, of uh, guide us in mm-hmm. terms of discipleship and the decisions that we make, not being guided by fear or by even cultural assumptions about worst case scenarios and worst fears and yeah. anything else, but being a people of love and hope and faith and gentleness and kindness, those things matter. Yeah. And uh, seeing women flourish, I think, will be a, a huge uh, blessing in our communities, in our churches, in our homes, and in our families, and then for the world. You know, Sarah, that is an encouragement because imagine the church being at the forefront in establishing and creating men and women relationships in a healthy way for the world versus right. the other way around, right? Because, you know, we always knew the church church was always the place for those things. They were the ones who were yeah. doing the hospitals and universities. They were creating programs that the world was looking to and saying, oh, look at the church. They're providing these, these places mm-hmm. and safe places for needs to be met. And now it's like... We're kind of all jumbled and confused, and, and you know, sometimes now we're looking outside of the church for these answers, and I'm like, but church, this is the time where we could set that example of, of healthy, loving families, relationships, men and women, children, intergenerational, to show how it's done well, and the world looks at us and goes, oh, we should model that in our companies and our big, you know, as a CEO and how I lead or, or in, in, in other areas in society, yeah. and that's my hope. And I think these kinds of conversations and commitments for men and women and representation and even myself as a woman to say, you know, I, I want to create that kind of space, uh, it's a good reminder because we so need that. And especially when, you know, I've been doing different conversations and, and shows on millennials and millennials are looking at the church and saying it's antiquated. It's not representing mm-hmm. what I'm doing outside of church. And so I'm not going. I don't feel that it's a place where I can see equality and see people care and that it's inclusive and and that and that actually really grieves me that that's what they're saying about the church you know and so I hope that you know people get on board and start we, we see that change happen you know in our generation the next generation the next generation too no, I think you're exactly right. And even the roots of the feminist movement were deeply rooted in Christian women's commitments. Yeah. That that first wave of feminism came about because women really took seriously the words of Jesus Christ and wanted to embody that in every every area of society. So that's why they cared. They, they, those roots really were overlapping with abolition. Yeah. They were overlapping with the temperance movement. They were overlapping with seeing women declared persons under the law here in Canada. I mean, you look at even the famous five in Canada who were definitely flawed women, but those famous five women like Nellie McClung and those women, yeah. they were deeply motivated by their Christian faith and by their belief that fi- that engaging in the public square on behalf of women was a deeply Christian thing to do, that there had mm-hmm. to be a social aspect to their faith. Amazing. You're it's so I, I, I'm getting really excited because I think when there's more voices like yourself and more and more as I'm in different groups of, of you know, people over in dinner parties and things and hearing people saying I need to make commitments towards this. It's it really encourages me because I don't want anyone to kind of go through the struggle that I did. Um, and, you know, seeing some major changes and in thinkings and in institutions and in and, and organizations that I kind of came out of changing and opening themselves up to this really I don't know if they would call it it but call it but feminism in the sense of you know for women supporting women and everybody you know supporting that kind of equality 
So right. that is And amazing. I think a part now, of it too is sometimes people do have some baggage around the word feminism. And so to be honest, I don't even have a lot of um, ideology around making sure that people embrace that word. I mean, some people prefer the term egalitarian or they prefer, you know, other, other terms, but really functionally what we're looking at is equality. And I think a lot of churches can get behind that, even if they have a difficult time with the word feminism that might freak out, you know, some people here and there, but at, you know, I feel really comfortable with it and, and like it and think it's worth reclaiming as the church mm-hmm. and reclaiming kind of our historic place in that movement and, and showing up at that table. Yeah. But you know what, it's, it's okay too, if people want to, embrace the values of it without maybe having a hard with well maybe still having a hard time there Sarah how do you protect yourself from because you know you write with very strong convicting words you have very strong opinions you write a book called Jesus Feminist (laughs) and I understand being on the front line you know when I was doing a TV show I would get those emails (laughs) and those letters and those calls (laughs) Yeah. about all kinds of things of what I say and what I believe and and even doing you know podcasts and just being out there that I really feel God has called me out there but it's hard sometimes you know just hearing the criticism and and people's opinions about you you know how do you protect and navigate yourself in it and I guess I'm just learning from you because you know as a woman like that and you being out there too what have you done to kind of create sort of that safety and safe place around you to ensure that, you know, you, you, it's like God has said, you know, write this or, or, or uh, speak this and that you know, though, that what's going to come back isn't going to be always favorable and kind. <laughs> you mean people on the Internet don't like everything you do? What's that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, it, it still makes me laugh yeah. because at at my most core self, I'm actually a people pleaser. And I am someone who abhors conflict with my whole heart. And so I get no end of laughter out of the fact that God has called me to talk and speak and lead and teach publicly about pretty much everything you don't discuss in polite company. And so learning how to um, live in that tension uh, has been really one of the, the greatest places where I've met with God. Mm. Because really at the core for me, it does have to come down to who are you? And and really knowing deeply who you are in Jesus Christ. And so finding my identity and in, in, in knowing how, who I am in Christ, knowing who I am at the core, no matter what anybody may say or not say, or believe or not believe about me, um, that, you know, that that is always kind of my, my, my center in any storm mm-hmm. is who does Jesus say I am and, and that relationship with Jesus and following Jesus, walking with Jesus. It, and um, I will say this too, that just like there are people, you know, hearing, you know, a lot of criticism or hate or trolling or cruelty or whatever else, or mis- even misrepresentation, misunderstanding, you know, whatever else, that's not good for your soul to feed exclusively on that. Mm-hmm. But on the same token, it is not good for me to be around people who think that I am like the second coming of Jesus either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's not good to be the Antichrist, and it's not good to be (laughs) either side. It's not really a good representation of who I am, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's important for me to really cultivate. I'm deeply rooted in my local church. Yeah, I'm deeply rooted in my community and my family, with my husband and my children and my friends, people who know the real me behind, um, you know, a blog post or a sermon or a book or any other thing that I've been doing. That and and even have that right to speak into my life and have earned the place. Mm to speak into my life uh, has been really, really good and helpful and keeps me sane uh, in the That's midst good. of what can sometimes be, feel like a bit of a storm. Yeah. Uh, 
And so that's been helpful. I think another thing that's helpful for me is learning how to differentiate between criticism and haters, right? Like every single person who criticizes me isn't a hater. And I have often learned a lot from my critics. Mm -hmm. Um, There are things that I I needed to change, things I needed to to refine, pushback Mm -hmm. I needed to hear. Uh, And I wouldn't have had that. And if I would have dismissed everybody who disagreed with me as automatically an enemy, um, not everybody who disagrees with me is an enemy, not by any stretch of the imagination. How do you and your husband work? Because, you know, you're out there and I've just, you know, I, I got married last year and, um, you know, I think, thank you. And, you know, I look at Chris and I'm so thankful that he is not an EFNP in the Myers-Briggs like I am. And I know that you're an INFJ and, um, and you know, not a lot of men can handle uh, a woman who is strong and upfront. And this is what I've heard and I've experienced, that there's this interesting balance of how to do this well in a marriage relationship. How do you and Brian do it? How do you do it well as you go out and you're traveling, you've got kids, you're the face, you've got books, uh, your you know, top blog is everywhere and, and you're kind of you know, gearing up and, and you're becoming a, you know, a, a little bit of a celebrity. How does that work for the two of you to, to balance it out in your relationship? And I think I'm just learning from you because we're really starting that up as well, right? Right, you know, and I think that every couple really does uh, learn that dance on the, um, for what works for them and what doesn't. Brian and I have been married for about 16 years now, so we've been dancing for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will, you know, a lot of it has been uh, a shift and a change for us because when we very first got married, um, you know, he was very much more in the, in the public eye than I was. He was in ministry. Um, he was kind of on the, the up and comer path. I was always in the background very much, um, Mm -hmm. you know, preferring to keep my mouth shut and, you know, whatever else. And so I think that some part of us is still laughing laughing at the irony, really, of where we've landed, <laughs> or at least I am. I think Brian would always say that he knew that this was going to be our life. Okay. Um, he has always had absolute confidence in in me and in in uh, the gift and calling that God has placed on me and, and places a high priority on it. I think that all of us as a family see my work as our work. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really see it as something that's that's got a big, um, you know, demarcation. And so, you know, Brian and I really deeply believe in mutuality in our marriage. Uh, we have right from the start where we believe that we submit to one another and that Jesus Christ is the head of our home. Mm-hmm. And so that really changes how we approach decisions. I have a tremendous amount of respect for my husband. His fingerprint is on every single thing that I do. Uh, and he deeply shapes um, and leads me well. And I think he would say the same thing about me, that I my, my fingerprints on everything that he does and is and, and that, that we are leading together. Um, and so learning how to do that well, um, sometimes, you know, in, in practical terms, I mean, we don't make decisions when we are in disagreement. You know, we've learned how to wait in those spaces and to pray and to seek the Lord and to to not really make major decisions until we are in agreement together. Um, and it always happens, right? We have yet to come to a place where we haven't gotten there uh, in, you know, 18 years of, of relationship. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways where people kind of can run their marriage or not run their marriage. But at the end of the day, I think that um, where Brian and I are at is that we've always wanted to choose each other. Mm. that what we wanted was one another that for me honestly I could walk away from books or stages or you know places or anything else but I would never walk away from him and I think that he would say the same thing we have chosen other things or we have chosen each other over other things Mm -hmm. and I hope that we always always do um 
and, uh, and, and it's not perfect. I mean, I don't think anybody's marriage is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think being able to see more and more people who are able to, um, to walk that well has been really good. I, I don't know any man of strength who requires a woman to become less in order to feel better about himself. Yeah. If a man, yeah. if a man really knows God and he's really walking in the fullness of his manhood and he's really walking in the fullness of who he is in Jesus Christ, then he does not require me to get smaller, yeah. so that he feels better. That is profound because that again is, I, I think, the beautiful picture of how it should be. Where I've I've been around and I've heard from some of my girlfriends that they've always been pushed down and suppressed because the man needs to feel powerful and in control, and that's submission. I'm like, that's actually not submission. That's abuse. And yeah. manipulation and control. That's not yeah, submission well, and it, at all. And it even shows more to the insecurity within that person, right. which is a which is a bigger thing, right? If I require my husband to become less of who he is because it somehow makes me feel better, then you know what? I am not doing him any favors, yeah. and that is a huge indictment on my own uh, my own relationship with God, my own sense of security, my own sense of identity. And honestly, we make each other better at being ourselves. Mm-hmm. You want to be calling each other out into into deeper things and bigger things and, and um, you know, being who you were always meant to be all along. You want to be each other's number one fan. Yeah, I love that. Oh, everybody needs to hear that <laughs> in marriage. No, amazing. <laughs> You know, as, yeah, as we no, sort it's of... It's funny how, how often when Brian and I... Because Brian and I um, will teach on marriage sometimes together. Yeah. And it amazes me how many men uh, respond to hearing him tell it, too. I because, bet. you know, it's one thing for me to say that. Yeah. But for someone like my husband who is you know, a, a really obvious strong leader and is, you know, a, mm. a kind of a man's man guy getting up there and talking about the importance of mutuality and the importance of, you know, submitting to one another and seeking Jesus together and celebrating one another and, you know, encouraging one. I mean, there's, a, it's amazing to me how many men are just like, oh, well, I never would have thought of that before. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Okay. But- I know. <laughs> it's funny when I speak, Sarah, Chris, the joke for Chris is, People will go up to Chris when he comes to support me as I speak. And like, oh, so what do you do? And he goes, well, what I'm doing is I'm holding Melinda's purse as she <laughs> preaches. And he actually does hold my bag. And, and people get shocked. Like, are you fine with that? He goes, absolutely. Because as I hold her bag, I am supporting Melinda in the calling and gift that God's given her. But it's funny because it's, it's still changing people's, per, you know, perceptions about it. Because here he's standing there at the side, ho- literally holding my bag probably have makeup because I'm shiny and whatever and I'm speaking and yet what I love about you know for Chris and his strength is it that doesn't bother him like it it has nothing to do with his manhood it says nothing about the kind of man he is he's like that's her gifting so I'm standing here with her bag holding her makeup and her hairspray and I'm fine with that and I love that kind of change because it surprises every time like I've seen and heard stories where people are shocked or they want to get into a discussion like well, doesn't that, how does it make you feel? Are you jealous? Like, they've actually said that to him. And he's like, no. Why would I be jealous? Like, it's, it shocks us that people would actually say that. But then I realize that in their world, that's how it's been. That's how it mm-hmm. is, right, as far as roles of men and women. And so, you know, Chris and I are trying to help change that as well just by the work that we do and how we support one another as well. So I'm so encouraged by you and Brian. That's great. No, it makes a big difference, mm-hmm. I think. You know, Brian and I always say that everything in your life is a testimony for what you really believe and think and hope and know about God. Wow. And so if what you're looking at is everything is a is a scramble for getting mine and making sure that I'm edging other people out, 
then you know what, you're really betraying that you don't believe that God's abundance is enough for you. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the place where you are is, is, is enough. And I remember one time my son, he was probably about seven at the time, and I was saying something about how I was going out of town. Uh, I was going somewhere to preach or something. And I said, um, you know, well, I was sad to go and that it was going to be difficult for me to leave. And I remember him saying to me, Mom, he said, God has called you to tell people about Jesus and to and to help help people out in the world. And God has called us as a family to make it easy for you to go. Mm-hmm. And just right from the start, he's you know, I think because he saw his father embodying that, he knew that he was just as much a part of ministry, just as much a part of that yeah. calling, and that he wanted to make it easy for me to go and do that because that was his role. And so I, I just it. thought that was incredibly beautiful. Right from the time he was seven, he was seeing that we were partners in the gospel. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, one of the things that I really am encouraged by, because I'm a storyteller and you are too, and I love how you call it sort of this narrative theology, because I think our lives are about storytelling. We share mm-hmm. what God's done, where we're at, where we've come from. One of the things I really found so interesting about your blog and your post was, I think it was the number one blog in 2016 about off-brand. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that, Sarah, because, and I wanted to get into that, because you know, I'm sort of a promoter, marketer, brander, and and the language around me all the time, whether it's for my show, podcast, my life, my website, it's all about brand. What's your brand, Melinda? What's your message? What's your keyword? What's your elevator speech, right? Like we all get that. And I was really attracted and, con- and, and rather convicted about your blog about being like off-brand because I've, I've worked really hard and in the Christian world to create this brand of mine, Melinda Estabrooks. When you see that or hear that, what do you immediately think of? And, and, you know, that whole idea of working hard to create this brand, but that sense of this off-brand. And I wanted you to talk about that because I think for a lot of us, um, I think a lot of us in, in my, like, sort of that Gen X, you know, generation, we have worked very hard for the brand, right? Like, mm-hmm. we've created it. We're now sort of in our 40s, and we're like, this is our brand. This is what we stand for, you know? Um, and you had some really telling things about that when we're, when we're too stuck in that, what can happen? And I just want you to talk about that because I think I need to hear it. And I think a lot of my friends need to hear it because we have been fronting and managing our lives for so long. And in those quiet places, it's been exhausting and lonely and not our authentic selves, our true selves. When we actually sit back and I speak for me and I sit on my couch and go, "Mm, I don't know if that's really, truly me overall. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk through that, Sarah, because I really want to learn about that. I think that's such a fascinating concept, this off-brand idea. Yeah, you know, I um, I wrote I wrote that uh, that essay um, in response to some shifts that I'd undergone as a mom, um, which for a lot of women is oftentimes a big part of your identity. Yeah. Uh, for women who are mothers, you know, the the way that you mother, the way that you do things is often really deeply tied to who you are. And so, of course, my background is more in marketing. And so that's the yeah. language that I, um, you know, was really yeah. familiar with. And, you know, we often would talk about how, you know, every single point of contact with a client or a customer or, you know, whomever reinforces who you are. Right. And it goes, mm-hmm. you know, so much more than just your slogan or your logo or whatever else. Right. And it's funny how often we embrace that language of marketing almost when it comes to our lives, where this is the type of woman I am. And yeah. so these are the, all the decisions I make, the clothes I wear, the things I buy, the things I like on Facebook, you know, the, the words <laughs> that I speak, the books I read, you know, like that. This has to pass mm-hmm. to fit within this box that I've kind of prescribed for myself. And it's funny how often we assume that God will only meet with us within the box that we've chosen. 
And so for me, having that box blown open, um, I had three children in four years. We were really happy. They were growing up. And then, you know, late in my 30s, we found ourselves unexpectedly pregnant with a new little baby. And I was a very different mom. I was a very different mom in my late 30s than I would have been in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And my life was different. Our lives were different. We had three big kids. We, you know, and so learning how to parent again outside of my brand, outside of the way that I'd always done it. And learning that God wanted to meet with me there led to me having a lot of conversations about how God continues to find us in all the places where really I hadn't expected um, God to be. And even how often in our lives, and I, and I wrote about this a lot in my second book, Out of Sorts, um, that we think we have everything kind of sorted out and we know how we're going to fit. We know how we're going to move through our lives. And then oftentimes something happens to throw us off that plan or Mm -hmm. throw us off brand, whether it's something internal or emotional or it's something that happens to us or it's a circumstance. I mean, there's just so many different ways where we begin to see that we are changing and that we need to change in response to our lives. Right. And I always thought I would be this kind of person, but now I'm this person. I always thought I would believe this about God, but now I'm here. I always thought I would be at this church, but now I really want to leave. Or I always Mm. thought I would never go to church and now I can't, they can't get rid of me. And, you know, (laughs) whatever it is, you know, I never imagined myself doing this. And yet now here we are. I always thought I would get married and then I never did. I always thought that, you know, I would have this type of child, but then they are disabled or or differently abled. And Mm. I mean, there's so many different places where we see that. And really what it comes down to is saying, I always thought I'd be this one sort of person, but now I am already becoming someone else. And mm. so how how is it that the Holy Spirit is moving in those margins and white spaces and differences in our life? And then how can we embrace that and, uh, and walk that out, right? And so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of freedom in that. Um, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, but we are always or should always be changing in response to that. Mm-hmm. And that's freeing, Sarah, because, I mean, I think, you know, when you manage in front for so long, like I just said, you know, before, it's exhausting. And to know this freedom where, you know, and I think, you know, that was, it was um, that convicting moment where you wrote where it's like, you know, that part about, you know, you always look at people who are divorced and say that would never happen. And then I look at myself and it did happen to me. But eight years later, I can then be remarried and find love again. But Mm -hmm. the narrative changes, like the story changes. And I hear that a lot with my girlfriends, like, but I thought this was what was supposed to happen. And then that equals anger at God. He doesn't hear my prayer. I don't know if he's present. I don't want to go to church. Like it's that, that kind of thinking then changes all these decisions about how we see God. So this is my life. This is what I checked off, and then it doesn't happen, which equals either God doesn't love me, I'm doing something wrong, he's not present, and then we have questions about, is he really real, and does he really care about me? Mm-hmm. And, and I hear these conversations quite a lot, which for oh, me, yeah. it disturbs me, Sarah, because I think I've, I, you know, I've always had this, and I'm thankful for it, like this childlike faith where I've always believed him. I've run away, but I've always known I'd be back. Like, I always would be like, you know, God, I'm having my fun. I'll be back. You know that. And I just have always had these kinds of conversations. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to hear that. But I think, you know, that's the part of faith and the Holy Spirit. And, and part of that, if you, if you change your narrative to the adventure of, you know, life with him. Mm-hmm. So it changes. Now what? Right? What are we, we going to do? So um, I think that's exciting. What, what have you, as sort of like a, a closing up of as we look at that off brand what what are some of those ways for a person to kind of say okay this isn't what i thought but now i'm going to i'm going to take it and go with it what are some of your advice steps on how to how to do that well as you go off brand 
Um, you know, there's a lot of different uh, ways to be able to walk that out. I think probably the number one thing that I would often tell people when they are in in that place, um, whether it is, you know, spiritual or a, or a question of identity or the way they've always done, you know, whatever it is, um, really the first thing that I always want to encourage people to do is to lean into that pain. Yeah. That instead of acting like it's fine, and we're fine, and everything's fine, even though it's not fine. <laughs> right. And so we tend to think that we only have like one of two options, where we think that our option is either, you know, to pretend that everything's fine and to double down on the way it's always been and on that brand and just go down fighting on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I believe all. No, I don't have any questions. No, I don't have any doubts. No, I don't have any disappointments. No, this is fine. Or we think our other option is to burn it all down. and walk away entirely. And instead, I believe that there's that third way, which is leaning into those questions, leaning into the liminal space, leaning into those doubts, those disappointments, those questions, and finding that God is in that place. And even beginning to see those scary things, those terrifying things, those questions of identity and theology and beliefs and all those different things, those are often an invitation from the Holy Spirit. Mm. And it is not anything to be afraid of. It is not everything to turn your back on, but see it as the invitation it is. You might end up somewhere you never expected to be, but you will be walking with Jesus and you will you will begin to see that in that place there's invitation and on you know, even when you're going through that wilderness, on the other side of it, there's always deliverance. Ah, right? Beautiful. And so there's something really good in and in, in some invitation there as well. Sarah Bessie. Thank you. That was such an inspiring interview. I loved it. I loved speaking with you. There's so much more. I could have like three more hours with you. I, I know. Have to talk about these. There's so many. <laughs> I had with my book. I had so many different questions, and we and we got to some of them. But I think I just I kind of prayed. You know, God, just let this conversation be something that that just flows. And if the questions happen and they don't, they don't. So thank you so much for your time. I'm so encouraged by you. You're an inspiration. I'm going to be back on your blog because you're, you're such a great writer. And, and and every time I read, I'm like, yes, girl, that's me. Woo! And I've been cheering as you've written things. So thank you so much for your words and just your courage as you speak such great truths to us. So all the best and thanks for connecting. We'll do it again. I would love that. Thank you, Melinda. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Sarah. All right. Bless you. Okay. Bye-bye. I'll start with my Adele hello. Hello. It's me, Melinda Strax. Okay. Kirk, start recording. Oh, okay. Well, we're all out of time with Sarah Bessie, but I know you're going to want to hear more. So you need to go to facestrongtoday.com, subscribe to my podcast, Your Story with Melinda, and watch us on our YouTube channel. Did I hit it?